the, the pain, the suffering, the tribulation that they were going through was directly related to uh, their Christian witness. I mean, they were being persecuted. Some were being burned alive. Um, others were having their homes and things taken uh, because they, were, they confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, because they were disciples, they were Christians, um, as Peter's going to mention in the text today, that we suffer as Christians. But what, what I want us to get is that it doesn't necessarily matter the type of suffering. I mean, Peter's going to address one thing today that, you know, if we're, if you're, if we're suffering because we're bad, then we, you know, deserve that suffering, we're being punished for it, that's not, that's, that doesn't really count. But no matter what the suffering is that comes at us in our lives, even if we don't view it necessarily as direct persecution because of our faith, the way we respond matters. And God is, is doing something in it. I, in, in James chapter 1, James, again, a lot of parallels between what James write and what, and writes and what Peter writes. But in James chapter 1, I like this because he says, Count it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of, listen, trials of various kinds. Trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And Peter's going to use some of that same language in this passage today, talking about trials and how it's a test, and we have to pass it. And again, what I'm pointing out there in James is that he says, trials of various kinds. It doesn't matter what the trial is, what the difficulty is that you're facing. God wants us to face it with no, knowing a couple things that are going to make all the difference in how we face it and understanding what it's doing, and ultimately uh, pointing everything back to his honor and to his glory. How many of you have gone through a difficult time before? Anybody? If you haven't, man, tell me the secret, please. But we all have, and listen, we all will, okay? And so the truths that Peter's going to share with us this morning are going to make all the difference that we would not waste the opportunity that we have to glorify God um, in the midst of our suffering. But number one, when we are going through suffering, the first truth here that I want to show you that Peter's going to show us, like what it's doing in us, is that number one, it cultivates intimacy. It cultivates intimacy. Look with me at verse 12. I know we haven't read this yet, so pay attention as we go. He says, beloved, do not be surprised. Don't be surprised. Why are we surprised <laughs> when the trial comes? He says, beloved, he said, listen, my children, I love you. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. Nothing strange is happening to you. This is par for the course. In this world, you're going to have much trouble. But Jesus has overcome the world. He says, don't, don't think it's strange as though something strange were happening to you. Verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now, there's two things here. And again, what, what I'm saying is, what Peter, is, the first point that Peter's making is that one of the things that trials, that suffering, difficulty, tribulation does in our lives is that it cultivates intimacy between us and Christ. Look at verse 13 again, this very specific phrase. He says, rejoice insofar as you what? As you share Christ's sufferings. That our suffering is not just random suffering, but that we're sharing in Christ's suffering. Also look down at verse 14. He says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That we're sharing in Christ's sufferings 
but also that God's glory is resting upon us in a special way. And the reason I say that suffering cultivates intimacy is because you see these two things coming together. If you're going to have any sort of an intimate relationship with anybody, and what, what I mean by, by that intimate relationship is just simply like you're going to know somebody more than just on, a, on an acquaintance level. Okay, many of us have acquaintances. We, you know, all, all our Facebook friends. I mean, we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acquaintances, but not many people have friends. And that's because friendship, intimate friendship, is a two-way street. Is that you've got to love that person, you've got to open up to that person, you've got to share your life with that person, and they need to reciprocate back to you. And if it's not a two-way street, then that intimacy is not going to happen. And God calls us into an intimate relationship with Him, guys. And so you see in how suffering, though, brings these two things together, that we share in Christ's suffering. Listen, Jesus was known in Isaiah 53. Think about, we don't think about, like, okay, there's a whole study that could be done throughout the Bible. You can do it sometime. I'd encourage you to just, like, look up all the different names of God in Scripture. One of the names that we overlook many times is in Isaiah 53. He is known as the man of sorrows. The man of sorrows. That suffering was woven into his identity. It's part of who he was. And what Peter's saying here is that when we share in the sufferings of Christ, one of the ways that it cultivates intimacy is that we're able to relate to an aspect of his identity. It's the man of sorrows. That remains hidden from us if we just remain comfortable. Because Think about the pain right now. Whatever difficulty you've been through in the past or maybe that you're going through right now, doesn't matter what it is. Jesus has been through that same pain. The Bible says he was tempted in every single way just as we are, yet without sin. And I'm not trying to minimize your pain or the hurt in any way, but one of the ways that we get through suffering is not by focusing on our suffering, it's by focusing on Christ's suffering and focusing on what he went through. And that when you feel abandoned, that you remember that Christ was abandoned. When you're dealing with physical pain, no matter what it is, do you remember that Christ experienced physical pain on an excruciating level? Paul, I love the way this, this verse, Philippians 3.10. Um, I want to read it out of the New King James and also the message, because I like the way they say this. But the New King James, I love this little phrase. Paul says, he says, that I may know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection, then he says this, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. The fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. That there's a fellowship, that there's a oneness, there's a communion that happens in suffering to know Christ in a way that does not happen if you remain comfortable. The, the message, trans, well, it's not really a translation, more of just a paraphrase. The message Bible sa says it like this. He says, I gave up all that inferior stuff, so that I could know Christ personally and experience his resurrection power. Be a partner in his suffering. Be a partner in his suffering and go all the way with him to death. See, and what, all I'm trying to say this morning is that, guys, you're suffering no matter what it is. It is not pointless. It is not pointless. And if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then there could be no greater gift that he gives us than an opportunity to know him in the most intimate way. And suffering is one of the things that does that, that we understand a little bit of what he went through. Verse 14 
Again, not only though do we share Christ's sufferings, do we relate to him, but he also relates to us in a special way. Now listen, I don't have time to build this out theologically. Like if you believed in Jesus Christ, I believe, Ephesians chapter 1, that you have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. That's what it says. His Holy Spirit now lives inside of you. And so he, he's always near to us, but I, I would argue that the Bible does teach, like, again, and it sounds like I'm contradicting myself, because he, he's near, like he's, he's there, he, that, that's the gospel. But at the same time, when you're going through suffering, he's near in a special way. And, and that's the language that Peter's using here at the end of verse 14, where he says, this, if, if you suffer insult for the name of Christ, the spirit of glory and of God it rests on you. It comes down and it rests on you. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, there's, there's many images of this, but where God's glory would come down and when they dedicated this, the temple, that the glory came and it, it rested there. That when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism, that it came and it rested, it rested upon him. And because of Christ, because we've been suffering in death and his sacrifice on our behalf, we believe in him and then we're willing to suffer with him, the spirit of glory of God rests upon us. Parents, I think we understand this probably well, is that, you know, we love our kids, and we love them all the time, right? I mean, sometimes they annoy us, if we're honest, but, but we love them. But never do we want to draw closer to them than when they are suffering. Um, two Christmases ago, we went sled riding on uh, Christmas Day down my in-laws' hill by their house. And uh, it was a nice snowy day, and we're, you know, we opened presents in the morning, and then we were like, let's go sled riding. So we went up there, and, and at the top of the hill, there's not much flat spot, it's just kind of hill. So the boys were getting on this sled, and it was like a round toboggan type thing. And I was holding it because it was, again, it was on the hill. And so they were, uh, I was holding it as they were getting on so they wouldn't take off. And Rowan got on and then Finn got on. And then I was like, you ready? And then I, they said, yeah. And I thought at the last minute, you know what, I think I'll jump on too. And so uh, I let go and I dive on top of them. And uh, the thing I haven't mentioned yet is that there's a fence right at the bottom of the hill. And so um, you know, it's one of those deals where like, you can still have fun, you just got to roll off beforehand or slow down or something. And I was thinking that I'd be able to slow us down, but about halfway down the hill, I realized I wasn't going to slow us down much because it was, we were turning all sorts of different directions, so I'm dragging my feet, and, and I can tell like halfway down, I'm like, this is not going to end well. And, um, and so we get down to the bottom, we didn't really hit the fence that hard, I was able to kind of just, just ramped up, but the boys were all turned around and they were kind of screaming on the way down. Um, I was screaming too, like a little girl. Uh, but anyway, but when we get down there, I first pop up and I was like, I was like is, is everybody okay? And I get up and Finn just has blood just gushing from, from his nose. And I don't know, do we have that picture up there, Josh? Did you get that loaded on? This is poor little Finn. I don't know if you can see this or not. He looked like a duck. Um, his lip is, is as hard as a rock and that is us in the ER later on on Christmas Day uh, because either my boot or Rowan's boot or something had broken his nose as we were uh, as we were heading down now keep that picture up for just a second because 
And dads, I, I hope that you can just like give me some sort of affirmation here that you've done dumb stuff like this with your kids before um, so I don't feel alone. Uh, but in that moment when the blood was gushing down his face and we had to walk back up the hill and then we're out to the ER, um, man, I pity anyone, including myself, if you were going to try to get between Finn and his mama in that moment. Um, and believe me, uh, I've told you guys before about, about this thing called mama bear that women have inside of them, that when something happens to their babies, like, they, I mean, it's, it's over. No matter how sweet they are, like, they will rip off your head and spit in the hole. Like, it is, it is it's done. Um, I felt a little bit of that that morning from my own wife. Um, <laughs> but I say that because when our kids are suffering, when they're going through difficulty, man, Hannah loves Finn all the time, but in that moment, when he was hurting, she was there in a special way. And, and that's all I'm trying to say, and I believe that's what Peter's trying to say. So guys, when you're going through it, and listen, this is why it's so important, guys, does the Bible say we live by feelings? Yes or no? No. We live by what? Faith. By faith. And if you're going through difficulty even now this morning, what I want to tell you is, get pick up this book, read verses, read promises like this, and say, Jesus, you don't feel close to me at all right now, but I believe you. But I choose to believe that your word is true, because it is. And guys, God is near you in the midst of, um, in the midst of difficulty. And I just want to remind us, you know, if I can just speak to those of us that call Mercy Hill home right now, like, guys, there is a lot of pain and difficulty and suffering going on in individuals' lives in our body right now. And I cannot tell you how important it is that not just myself, but all of us speak this truth to each other all the time. Uh, because usually, for those that are in the midst of the fire, and if you've been there yourself, you know what it's like. That when you're in the midst of the fire, you may not feel like this is true, but it is. And we need to speak the truth and love to one another and remind each other that God is near, that he's not going anywhere, that he is intimately associated with every detail of the difficulty that we're going through. That's what, that's what, the, body, that's what the body does. And I have seen you guys do that often. Um, over the course of the time that we've existed together as a local fellowship, and I just want to encourage you to continue to do it all the more. So number one, suffering, it, it cultivates intimacy. Know that. So lean into it. But secondly, it also creates opportunity. If you look at the next couple of verses, verses 15 and 16, he says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. So again, I said earlier, like, he's not saying like, you know, you can't say that you're suffering as a Christian if you're suffering just because you do, you do bad stuff. Um, and again, I think it's interesting that, you know, we can always look back at the early church as kind of like just this, 
just the golden years of the church. And, and I mean, there was a lot that we want to emulate, and it's in the word for a reason as our example. But why does Peter put this down here? Why does he give this command? I think it's because Peter knew how easy it is for us at times to rationalize, even as Christians now and then, how easy it is for us to rationalize ungodly behavior. That when somebody does something bad to us, then we just, especially as Americans, man, well, man, it's my right to fight back, and I'm going to yeah, show them. Really? Really? Where's your allegiance lie? It better not to be, be to America first. Again, I'm not saying it can't lie there somewhere, but guys, it's Jesus above all. And when we're wronged, Jesus tells us to respond in a way that honors and glorifies him. And many times that's different than how the world would respond. And so if you're having something bad done to you, you might be tempted to, to murder or have murder in your heart or to steal or to do evil or to meddle in the same way that you've had evil done to you. Um, that's not what we do. Don't suffer in this way, verse 15, yet here, here's how we, do, how we do suffer, verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So here's the other thing suffering does, is it creates opportunity. It creates opportunity. Guys, it, it's, I don't think you can argue with this, I don't think anybody can, that throughout history, throughout the history of the church, um, of Jesus Christ, it, it has advanced, not just in spite of persecution, but because of persecution. When things get difficult, um, even in our day in which we live, the church in China, today it's the church in Pakistan and Iran, are two of the fastest growing churches worldwide. And in those places, it's difficult. But in that difficulty, God is working. And here's how God, historically, it's not the only way, but it is a primary way that he has advanced his church, is that he has allowed us to suffer, yet in that suffering, we stand steadfast on his word and we respond differently than the world would respond. And the world sees it and goes, what? There's something different going on here. And again, you've heard me say before, like, you know, I, I chuckle sometimes and I can get caught up in this myself as a pastor, like in all our strategies and in all our plans for growth. Here's how God grows his church. He allows us to suffer, to take up our cross as Christ did, and then he says, do it with steadfast joy and just trust me in the midst of it. And I'm not saying that we, we have to pray for persecution. I don't know if you guys ever heard anybody say that. I hear people say that sometimes, like, we just need to pray for some persecution. I'm always like, eh, that seems a little bit presumptuous to me. I mean, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, he says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Why? That we might lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So let's not get presumptuous and say, well, we just need to have some persecution. Like, we, we don't have to go looking for suffering or trouble. God will bring that as he decides to bring that. But no matter what comes, we need to remain faithful. Again, just some quick examples of this in the book of Acts. Peter and John are brought before the authorities because they heal a guy as they go up to the hour of prayer in Acts chapter 3. And, you know, they're being questioned by these authorities. Verse 13 of Acts chapter 4, uh, it says that now when they saw the boldness 
of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They, they were bold, just like Peter says, to be unashamed there in verse 16. And again, later on in Acts chapter 4, they tell him to stop preaching in this name. And they say, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot speak we, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard, that they were going to be obedient to God no matter what. In Acts chapter 5, after they've now been beaten because of their witness, verse 41 says, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And in Acts chapter 7, the story of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, that, that as he's being stoned, as they are killing him, he prays. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cries out with a loud voice, the last words that he speaks on this earth, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then he fell asleep. Verse 16, again, Peter says, let us not be ashamed, but let us glorify God in that name, in the midst of suffering. That's what they did. They, were unashamed, they had unashamed boldness. They were unashamed in their obedience. They were unashamed in their joy. They were unashamed in the mercy that they were showing, even to people that were persecuting them. Guys, if you're going through suffering today, or if you ever do, or if you ever have, it is an opportunity for you to show that you, you have a homeland that isn't this one. There's another one, and it's better and that's what Jesus died to bring the, the, the world that might be against you into. But how are they going to know about it if we don't reflect it in the midst of the opportunity that God gives us while we're suffering? John Piper um, wrote an article, I think it might even be a little booklet now, uh, while he was going through cancer um, that was just called, Don't Waste Your Cancer. <laughs> don't Waste Your Cancer. And uh, he gives 10 reasons in there as to why we shouldn't waste it and how not to waste it. And the last reason, reason number 10, um, that he gives to, to not waste our cancer and how to not waste it, he, he just says this. He says, you will waste your cancer if you fail to use it as a means of witness to the truth and glory of Christ. And he says this. Christians are never anywhere by divine accident. There are reasons for why we wind up where we do. Consider what Jesus said about painful, unplanned circumstances in Luke 21. He said, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisoners, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. He goes on and says, if you don't believe God designed your cancer for you, you will waste it. So it is with cancer, this will be an opportunity to bear witness. Christ is infinitely worthy. Here is a golden opportunity to show that he is worth more than life. Don't waste it. You say, well, Eric, I, I'm not being persecuted this morning. I'm not being burned at the stake and I don't have cancer. I know, maybe, <laughs> but, what, but what is the opportunity that he's given you not to waste? Maybe it is cancer. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's criticism. 
Maybe it's just a financial hardship. Maybe it's an abuse you've experienced in the past or a sense of abandonment. Maybe it's a miscarriage. Maybe it's being mistreated. Maybe it's being slandered. Maybe it's being overlooked. Maybe it's being treated unfairly. Maybe it's a wayward son or daughter or mother or father. Whatever the difficulty is that you're going through, guys, what Peter is telling us here this morning and what I want us to see, because I I know we want to honor and glorify God with our lives, right? Here's what he's saying. No matter what it is, don't waste it. Don't waste it. You have an opportunity to continually, in the midst of difficulty, say that God is good. This, guys, this is why, if I can just go on a rant for just a second, and I'll come right back, okay? This is why the prosperity gospel is such a ridiculous joke. Is because nobody loves Jesus more because when everything's going well and God's blessed me and everything's great and God gave me this and God gave me that, and you know, maybe... I mean, he, everything we do have does come from his hand, but like, we, just getting more money from God doesn't make much of Jesus. It makes more of that stuff. But if Jesus is to truly be treasured above money, above possessions, above ease, above comfort, then really, it, guys, it's only in the midst of difficulty that we have got to steward that opportunity well and not waste it. Even if the difficulty is just a difficult marriage, don't waste it. Say, oh, Eric, how how do I not waste that? You declare day after day, whether you feel it or not, you believe and you tell people that God is good. That's how you do it. And you can use whatever language, whatever words, the Lord gives you, but you allow your joy in him and in the gospel uh, to give a joy and a satisfaction, not just in your words, but in your actions, uh, that should just look weird to somebody that's going through difficulty. Don't waste the opportunity. So suffering, it, it cultivates intimacy, it creates opportunity. Here's the last kind of truth that Peter's going to give us, and this is so important. Um, I'm going to try, there's a lot here. I thought about just doing a whole separate sermon on this, but I'm just going to go for it here this morning, okay? Um, But suffering is an absolute necessity. It cultivates intimacy, it creates opportunity, and it is an absolute necessity. Verse 17, again, I'm going to be technical, please have your Bibles open, look at the language. Verse 17, so after he says, what he said in verses 12 through 16, verse 17, he says, for, it's an important word, for, he's going to give the grounds as to why what he just said above this is true. And what what did he say? I'm saying he said, it cultivates intimacy, it creates opportunity. Why? For, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Now I'm betting that we don't have, most of us don't have any clue or grid for what he's even talking about here. Time, what, what? Judgment? Time for judgment to begin with what? The household of God? What? What's he, what's he talking about? He said, it is, it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And he says, if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Okay? And then he's going to 
he gives more grounds. Verse 18 is a quote from Proverbs uh, 11.31. Verse 18, he says, And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Here's what Peter's saying. He's, he's, he, he, and he's saying, guys, suffering is an absolute necessity. It is time for judgment. And for us, I want to unpack judgment here because he's using judgment in a very specific way is that it is true that because of the gospel, and again, at the end of verse 17, I, want, I just want you to see where I'm getting this from because you've got to understand this correctly, is that like he's saying, he implies that we have obeyed the gospel of God. And he says, well, what will become of those who do not obey the gospel of God? We've obeyed the gospel. Jesus stepped in and took our ultimate judgment in our place on the cross. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him. By his stripes we are healed. Amen? This is good. Our sin has ultimately been judged, but there is still a judgment that is happening in this world. And what's happening is, is that through suffering, through difficulty, the fire comes. If you go back up to verse 12, he says, Beloved, don't be surprised at what? How does he describe it? The fiery trial. If you remember back in chapter 1, Okay, of 1 Peter. Again, this is all one letter. We've taken months to go through it, but if you would just go through it in a reading. He talks about, he says in verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. These have come so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Wherever judgment is talked about in the Bible, he's taught, it, it's, it's the fire many times, most times. Of judgment. And what he's saying here is that the suffering that you're going through, the way that God is going to be honored and glorified in it, is that he is going to bring you through it. He's going to bring you through it. The way that we are ultimately seen to be his people, ultimately and primarily, is by enduring through suffering. Guys, suffering is a necessity because God wants it to be seen that we are his people. We cannot say that we believe and are saved by a crucified Savior and then not live a life like his. Are you following me? There's, there's logic here that Peter is unpacking. That's why he's saying it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. That when suffering comes into your life, again, verse 12, brothers and sisters, we cannot think it's strange. We can, how, how, can we, how can we say that Jesus is our model, that he's our example, that he's our all in all, that he's our Lord, that he's our Savior, and not live a life like his? He was the man of sorrows. He went through difficulty. And he didn't just go around looking for difficulty. What he looked to do is simply do the will of his Father continually. And I'm telling you guys that as we follow, we don't have to go around looking for difficulty either. What we have to do is follow Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, though, rest assured that he is going to lead us down the same Calvary road that he walked. If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And it's through the difficulty of whether it is cancer, criticism, abandonment, abuse, no matter what it is, if we endure to the end and say, Jesus Christ is Lord, he is good, and I still love him, regardless of what you're going through, that is how we prove that we are his people. You understand? There's no other way. 
As you read the scriptures, I mean, I mean the classic, it's like the granddaddy of all parables. You know, Matthew chapter 13, he says, if you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand the rest of the parables? Is this parable of the sower. And you've got these, the, the sower sowing seed, and it's Jesus, and he's sowing the word of God. And, and, and there's four different types of soil, and some is the rocky ground, and it doesn't sink in at all, and the birds come, and they pluck it away. It's the devil. He's the evil one. Uh, you've, you've got the, uh, um, the rocky ground where it goes in a little bit, but it didn't really get all the way down into the heart, and so difficulty comes, and it just it withers because it has no root. You've got the thorny ground that um, here it's not difficulty that kills it, but it's, it's, it's prosperity. It says the, the weeds choke it out. The love of the things of this world, the cares of this world, he says, choke it out. You've got one good ground that endures. And it's the kind that goes down deep and it bears fruit. One of the fruits that God wants to be evident in each and every single one of our lives so that he will be glorified and that we can have assurance and that the world will know that there's something different about us is that we must endure through suffering. Are you with me? Is that making sense? There's no other way. We want there to be another way. Please hear me. It's not me. I'm trying to show you this as clearly as I can from the word. There's no other way. And suffering is an absolute necessity. And, and throughout the scriptures, and man, I, we, I could spend so much time on this, but guys, we, he... He still allows us to suffer, but he brings us through the suffering. And there's images of this. Remember, no, it's not like Noah got transported to Mars while the flood came, right? And then brought him back. It's safe now. You can return. No, he, he, was, he was in the midst of it, but he was shielded from it. The Passover, the, 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 the death angel comes in Egypt. And only those who were saved who had the blood over the doorposts. They were still right there, they passed, but the only thing, the only difference was the blood brought them through. That the nation of Israel, when they then come out of Egypt, they, they go through the Red Sea. They pass through the Red Sea. They're protected through it. The Egyptians try to come, and they're, and they're washed away. Over and over and over again in the Scripture is that God allows his people to pass through these deaths, if you will, but he keeps us in the midst of it. And hear me, that doesn't mean it's not difficult. It is difficult. But he keeps us. And he helps us. And he helps us to endure. And again, in this, he is glorified. I think one more example from, from the, another place in the word is I think you see a great microcosm of what Peter's talking about here in verse 17. Again, so let me read it. Time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? Is that in the book of Job, um, you have Job who is, the Bible says very clearly at the beginning of the book, he was more righteous than any other man on the face of the earth. Okay? Wasn't perfect, but he was more righteous than any other man on the face of the earth. He still had to go through suffering. The whole story of the book of Job for 40-some chapters, the majority of it is him going back and forth, this dialogue with his three friends who thought they knew what was going on. Some say that it's because he had secret sin in his life that he wasn't dealing with. Others said that, uh, you know, it's because um, 
you know, he, he didn't really truly honor God. He was just pretending to honor God. Others said he, was, he would honor God for, for the wrong reasons, and they would just go round and round, and Job would say, no, I, I love him. <laughs> I love him, but this is just, this has come upon me. And at the very end of the book, God finally speaks to Job. And even Job, even though he was more righteous than any other person on the face of the earth, he still needed refined. He still needed refined. And God allowed him to go through this. But here's what he says at the very end of the book. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, and that's one of Job's three friends, he says, my anger burns against you and against your two friends. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now again, remember, Job was suffering the whole time. He's got boils. I mean, he's, he's just lost everything. But God just says, no, he, he, was, he was saying what was right. I still allowed him to go through this suffering. Verse 8, he says, now therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves, and my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did what the Lord God told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave him twice as much as he had before. Let me read that again. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave him twice as much as he had before. Now here's what, why I told you that story, is I think that that Job is kind of a microcosm of what Peter's talking about, what God's, God wants to do on a grander scale with the church. Is that we're not perfect, but we are made righteous. And we're made righteous because of the blood of Jesus. And again, the ways of God are high and they are good and we don't always understand them, but they are always way more glorious than we could ever possibly imagine. And one of the ways throughout the scripture that I would argue that God chooses to work, and I think this is what Peter's unpacking for us here in verse 17, is that God has a lot of stuff he wants to fix out here in the world. But you know where he's going to start? With his people. Again, I don't know if any of you as parents have ever had your kid get in trouble with another group of kids. Anybody? If you have girls, maybe not. I feel like girls are just perfect all the time. But if you've got boys, they get in trouble, okay, with their friends. And here's the deal, is that there's been times when my boys have been with a group of friends, and they're all being bad, okay? But as a parent, who do you address first? Your own kid, right? Like, stop that! You, come here, <laughs> right? You call out your own kid. And I think that that's, that's what I'm talking about here in First Peter and also what happened with Job. Is that, guys, God has a lot of things he wants to fix in the world, but he's going to start with us. And we cannot shrink back from anything that he wants to refine in us. And the way that he's going to refine it is through difficulty, is through suffering. And to put it a lot more bluntly, and man, you, God, if you, we, don't, we just don't have time. But go back and read Job this afternoon, especially around verses 28 or 38, 39, for like when God starts to speak directly to Job. Here's what God says. Because Job's been going, why, God? You know I love you. Why? What are you doing? God says, stand up. I will question you and you will answer me. And then he just goes off. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? 
Where were you when I told the oceans you shall only come this far? And he just goes on and on. And Job goes, I'm sorry. I go, and God goes, stand up. I will question you and you will answer me. It's intense stuff. And again, hear me this morning. I said, guys, God has good plans in all these things. But if I can, can I just be really blunt here for a second? Well, too bad I'm going to anyway, whatever. I don't know why I ask those questions sometimes. But I am so sick and tired of lukewarm American Christianity. I'm so sick and tired of it. I'm so sick and tired of people falling away when things get hard. I'm tired of it in people that I see, people that I love, and I'm tired of it in myself. I'm tired of it. And the reason that there's passages like this in the scriptures is so that we would be reminded like, hey, if we think it's okay just to flake out when things get difficult, it's not okay. We're lying to ourselves. It's going to be difficult. Jesus told us that from the beginning, and what we need to do is stand up like Job did. And God says, I'm going to question you and you answer me. Okay. And as terrifying as it may be that we don't shrink back, and man, if we have to cry, if we have to ask for help, if we have to just fall on our face again and again and again, if we have to fast, if we have to spend more time in, pray, in, in prayer, if we have to seek him in an exceptional way for a season, then daggone it, that's what we do. But we don't sit around and lick our wounds and just pretend like, oh, you know, it's okay, I'm just going to lick my wounds and feel bad for myself. Stop it. I love you. I do. And I want to let every single one of you know, and I mean this with all my heart, that if you ever see me doing that, you have every right to come tell me. You have every right. You really do. But guys, I want us to follow Jesus. And I want us to live lives that are honoring and glorifying to him. And it brings him no glory just to take the easy road when difficulty comes. Amen? Worship team, you can come up. We'll begin to close. There's one more glorious truth here, verse 19, that we didn't get to yet. What is the implication for all this? How should we respond? Verse 19, here's what he says. Therefore, therefore, here's how we should respond. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls, listen, to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter's being, he's, he's trying to remind us of something here. He wants us to entrust our souls to who? A faithful creator. Why creator? And there's a lot of words he could have used, right? He could have said faithful shepherd, faithful savior, faithful liberator, faithful king, faithful Lord. But he says, entrust your souls to a faithful creator. When you think of God as creator, what chapters of the Bible come to mind? Yeah, Genesis 1 and 2. Was there suffering and pain in those chapters? No. There was none at all. I think that part of what Peter is doing here is reminding us that all the pain and difficulty that we may experience in this life does not exist because God desired it for his creation just because. 
but it exists because we have a very real enemy and because we have committed treason by obeying that enemy of our souls rather than our good creator God. And Peter exhorts us here in verse 19, again, to entrust our souls to this faithful creator. And the reason that he encourages us to do this is because even now, even now, this faithful creator is at work to make all things new. And he has purposed, guys, to glorify his name and to make all things new, not by rolling up the current universe just because it's a mess and just throwing it away like a piece of scrap paper and starting over, but instead, he's making all things new by taking the very suffering that we introduced into his perfect creation and by wielding it to create an entirely new universe where suffering and death are completely destroyed, eradicated forever. And the way that he did this was through the death of his son. The cross was the pinnacle of man's rebellion and the cross is a picture of all the pain and of all the suffering that our sin brings about. And Jesus took all that evil upon himself on the cross and he became a curse for us so that we could have life. And the good news, the practical hope that that gives us, and I believe Peter is communicating to us this morning, is that just as Christ's suffering, and even just, and it sounds weird to say this, but this is how we got to talk when you know the gospel, is that just as Christ's death did not ultimately end in death, I mean, there was death, but it didn't end in death. Just as his death did not end in death, neither will ours. Neither will ours. No matter what death you're going through this morning, guys, he's going to see you through because he lives now forever to save us, to save his people. Amen? Father, I just, I thank you for your word. God, I just, I just pray, Lord, I, I've, I've tried with just whatever words I can, Lord, to try to communicate, God, what you require of us as your disciples. Lord Jesus, please, Lord, for those that are hurting today, for those that are suffering today, for those that are blinded by their pain today, this morning, Father, please let your Holy Spirit strengthen their hearts. Father, please help us to look to you, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, but is now sat down at the right hand of God. Father, help us to do the same. Please help us, God. Please help us. For the sake of your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. You guys stand with me. If you're helping serve communion, you can come up front.